Inner Voice, a heartfelt chat with Dr. Fujian. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Inner Voice Show. I'm Dr. Fujian Zain. I'm a psychotherapist, author, and the originator of the Awareness Integration Theory. And hello to Sean, our director in our studio. This is a show about what matters most in our life. Our minds, our thoughts, feelings, actions, relationships, and our fulfillment in this beautiful journey of life. Today, I will share with you the tip of the week about we deserve to live a life of fulfillment by living our essence to its fullest potential. And then I'm excited to bring you Peter Russell, the author of Letting Go of Nothing from, and From Science to God earned degrees in theoretical physics, psychology, and computer science at the University of Cambridge in England, where he studied for a time with Stephen Hawking. He studied meditation and Eastern philosophy in India, and later conducted his own research into the neurophysiology of meditation. Please subscribe to my YouTube channel and podcast and connect with me through Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, any of the social medias that you like. I love to hear from you, but first, here's the tip of the week. Hello, I'm Dr. Fujian Zain. I'm a psychotherapist and a life coach for the past 30 years, and I'm the originator of the Awareness Integration Therapy. I'd love to be able to support you in any matters of life that shows up for you that you need support. So call me at 818-648-2140. I am available to do online therapy or coaching, anyone who's around the world. And you can also join me in my office in San Clemente, California, if you'd like to uh, come to the office. So call me at 818-648-2140 or go to fujon.com. I look forward to hearing from you and having the opportunity to support you in things that are in your life and you just want to excel and create an amazing life for yourself and everyone around you. the tip of the week. This week, I've been experiencing gratitude. Last weekend, I had a workshop for therapists and coaches who will be certified in the awareness integration theory. I woke up with this tremendous amount of gratitude for all of my teachers, the masters in the field, my supervisors, and my therapists. Everyone who has worked with me or um, make me grow as I was going through the names of people who had supported me, felt me and moved me forward in this journey. I also saw all the people who had mentored them. I was fortunate to have therapists who came to my clinic as a trainee, and now they are seasoned therapists and mentoring others. This weekend brought the notion of how we are connected generation after generation, handing over the knowledge that we gain from another to another. This filled me with joy. As a part of our lecture, I was uh, reciting what I had learned from Dr. Albert Ellis about striving toward unconditional self-acceptance, unconditional other acceptance, and unconditional life acceptance. It dawned on me that we're born with those qualities. Our essence as human being is unconditional acceptance. We come to this world open to receive. We accept all that is given to us by our parents, grandparents, siblings, teachers, friends, governments, societies, the world. As we feel hurt and pain, we end up closing in to protect ourselves. Yet we remain closed we lose the essence of acceptance of life as is. We see others as possible source of threat and pain. We also take things personally, hold negative views about ourselves and punish ourselves. 
may form lots of relationships while we're closed off. We may even teach how not to accept all that there is and ways to close off as a protective measure to our children and our next generation. We go into marriages closed off with no acceptance of our mate as is. We raise our children by not accepting who they naturally are and molding them to what we want them to be. We refuse to acknowledge the rights of so many people who are not like us. As we close ourselves up, we become more angry, depressed, isolated, righteous, and physically ill, which then forces us to clean up and we learn to gain the skill to assess, set boundaries, and protect ourselves without having to close up completely. And hopefully, as we grow, we relearn our original essence of unconditional acceptance. As if we are cleaning the mud off a rough diamond and we give it a brilliant shine by giving it magnificent cuts by learning and implementing skills and allow our essence to brilliantly shine. We deserve to live a life of fulfillment by living our essence to its full potential. For more observational skills and learning ways to clear the past wounds so that you can be yourself and open yourself and shine, go to my book, Life Reset, The Awareness Integration Path to Create the Love You Want. Thank you. Have you ever wished you could just wake up one day, reach across your nightstand and hit the life reset button? Let's face it, the struggles and frustrations of everyday life leave millions of women and men around the globe yearning for a new way. And the new way is right here in Life Reset, the awareness integration path to create the life you want by Dr. Fujan Zain. You can get it now at fujan.com or amazon.com. Life Reset, the awareness integration path to create the life you want. You deserve it. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Dr. Fujan Zane, and I am so excited to have Peter Russell with us. He's the author of Letting Go of Nothing and From Science to God, earned degrees in theoretical physics, psychology, and computer science at the University of Cambridge in England, where he studied for the time with Stephen Hawkins. He studied meditation and Eastern philosophy in India and later conducted research into neurophysiology of meditation. He coined the term global brain with his 1980s bestseller of the same name. Uh, he sold 100,000 copies and in which he predicted the internet and the impact it would have on humanity. We're going to ask him what else he's going to be predicting. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Lovely to be with you. Thank you. So I want to um, ask you about letting go. And... Um, the concept of letting go, obviously, it's hard for people. That's why they get stuck. I remember I was going to, at one point, I went into a Sedona method. And I don't know if you know about Sedona method. Yes, yeah. And I was sitting there and uh, the trainer was sitting and I was really stuck about my mother not loving me. And I just wasn't going to have it, you know. And mm -hmm. I was insisting about that. And then she sat in front of me and, you know, went through all of the conversations and I'm, you know, no, I was just not going to let go. 
So it was funny after a, a little bit of those conversations, she just distracted me. She goes, oh my God, look at those eyelashes and look at this and let me see your hand. And she just went to other sp spots of the conversations and lightened me up. And then she went back to it. And um, so experientially, I have that. And then as I was reading your book, I, I read in your book that it says, we can't do, we can't do letting go, however hard we try. To let go, we have to seize the doing of the holding on and requires a quite different approach to let go. So we relax our muscles and relax our grip. We seize holding on and let go happens. I love this. So share with us about letting go. Right, yes. The sort of conventional idea about letting go is it's something you, you have to do. You know, I've tried letting go, but I just can't do it. And people, you know, people say, just let go. So, you know, it sounds like we have to do something. But as you say, we're already doing too much. We're doing, doing the holding on. I sometimes liken it to if you're holding a small rock in the air in your hand. You know, if you want to let go, you actually bring your attention to your hand and you notice you know the grip the tension in the muscles and then as you notice that when you notice the grip then you can begin to let the muscles relax and the letting go happens and i think it's the same with the mind we need to relax the grip the mind is having on whatever it is you know something with your mother or you know letting go of some attachment to something or other whatever whatever it is um, we have to actually, I think the first thing we need to do is experience how it feels to be holding on, to actually notice that. And that means coming back to the body. I think the body is always the first place to come back to. It's easy to get into our heads and start looking at it and seeing all the thoughts, etc. But the body is a really great teacher. And so the first thing I suggest to people is come back. Notice how it feels, the holding on, whatever it is. I mean, in your case, I would, I would suggest it, you know, what's, what's it feel like when you, when you think about your mother in this way, whatever it is, and to notice that, how it feels in the body, the tension. And then to go a step deeper and suggest, okay, now notice what else is going in your, on in your body when you think about this. And, it, it, you know, first of all, you may notice obvious things like you're feeling a tension somewhere in your hands or teeth or whatever. But then to go deeper and be curious, what else is going on? And to actually be sort of interested in a, in a neutral way. What's it like in my body when, I, when this thought comes up? What goes on in my body? And so we're actually letting in the experience. What we tend to think of with letting go is getting rid of the experience. And that's right. We want to be free from it. We want to be free from it. But instead of just going, you know, pushing it to the back of our mind or doing something to be free, I find the best way to be free from it is first of all, to actually let in the experience, see what is going on. And first of all, doing that in your body, noticing how it feels in your body. And when you do that, the, the body tends to relax a little bit on its own. It's like, ah, okay, now I'm seeing this. I'm not resisting it. So it's stopping resisting the experience, which is what we tend to do because it's an unpleasant experience. So we resist it thinking, I mustn't let this in. But I suggest doing the opposite, letting it in, and then just letting it be, allowing it to be there, not trying to change it. And that helps the softening of the actual what's going on in the body. And then you can do the same thing with what's going on in your mind. There's always, with anything like this, there's some story, some narrative, something we're telling ourselves. You know, with you, it's something you were telling yourself, which you probably looked at in the Sedona method. And just to allow that in, to see what is the story, allow it in, allow it to be there. But as you do, you'll often see, well, hang on, there's some truth to that. There's obviously some truth because that's why the story started. But is there another way of looking at this? Um, is there, you know, what was happening with her that may have led to this? And that begins again to let it soften. And when you do this, you're creating, if you like, the right mental environment in which the letting go can just begin to happen. So it's, as you say, it's not doing letting go, but it's like creating the, the circumstances in, in your mind and body that the letting go begins to happen of its own accord. And that's what's so beautiful about this approach. You don't do the letting go. What you're 
you're undoing the holding on. As you were talking, the word resistance kept coming for me as if um, there's something, this is what shows up for me. Yeah. As if something is here and then I'm resisting it. And that resisting is creating that struggle. And I'm, and I'm hearing you say, as you pay attention to it, then the resisting goes away. And that's what you're letting in. And then as you let in, you see a bigger picture of it. And as you see the bigger picture, it becomes like an all-encompassing concept versus you take your attention to one piece and then you kind of keep resisting that. Is that what I'm hearing? Yes, yes. Um, and we, we tend to resist it because, you know, we worry about what would happen if I really let this in. If you're feeling sad, you may feel I'm going to start blubbing out in public. I'm going to be bursting into tears. Or if you're feeling angry, you resist it because, you're, you know, if you let it in, you think you might go and punch somebody. So it's an auto, almost automatic thing. We resist it. Also because it's unpleasant. As I said, we don't like unpleasant experiences, and so we, we tend to resist them. But we can, we can actually deal with the resistance itself. Again, if there's resistance, the first thing I suggest to people is notice how it feels to be resisting. Because if you're resisting the experience, you can't go straight to letting it in because the resistance is there. So the first thing is to let go of the resistance. And in the same way, we can turn our attention inwards to the body. And when you're resisting, there's always some feeling of tension there it's because it's in the body. In fact, with any emotion, there's something going on in the body because it's always there. And so turn your attention to the resistance itself. Notice how that feels in the body. And as you include that experience of resistance, you'll find the resistance itself begins to soften. So you don't have to beat the resistance or get, get rid of it. Do the same thing. Let, let your attention be with how the resistance feels in the body. And then when the resistance softens, you can begin to notice the actual emotion, feeling, whatever it is, more strongly. And I've sensed the same thing with pain, right? When people have pain, they resist it, yes. they push it away, they fight with it. And I'm sensing that this, your, the method you're talking about is paying attention to it, allowing it to soften up. And that by itself also kind of, um, whether minimizes or dissipates the pain or at least the struggle with it, which is a double whammy. <laughs> right, yes. Exactly. I mean, you may have heard this saying that pain is inevitable, suffering is optional. And the suffering comes from the resistance to it. The pain is there, but then we make ourselves suffer because I wish I, wish I didn't feel this. I wish it would go away. So we, we create additional, if you like, emotional pain over the actual physical pain. And that's, that's where the suffering comes in. And the way I approach it is, Pain is a call for attention. It's like the body's alarm system going off, saying, hey, there's something wrong here. Attention, please. And they say what we tend to do is the opposite. We try to take our attention away from it, block it, take painkillers, do so that we don't experience it. But if the body is asking for attention, then give it attention. And so I found this really valuable with pain to actually turn my attention to it, to notice what it feels like. Oh, there's a tight bit. Oh, there's a sharp bit here. Oh, I can see it spreading over there. Oh, oh, here's a bit about it I hadn't noticed. So you get, you get curious as to what is the pain actually like? So not just turning your attention to the pain, here's the pain, but actually going deeper, noticing all the different bits of it and just being with that. And I found sometimes, it, you know, the pain just, dissolves when I do that. The very first time I discovered this was years ago, and I had an air earache. I don't know what it was, but it was just my ear was aching. And that night as I lay in bed, I just thought, okay, let me try this. Let me give this pain attention. And so I just did that. I just felt it, got into the airache, what it actually felt like. 
And like in 10 minutes, it had disappeared completely. It had gone. And it, that fascinated me. And I found this often is the case. Or if it doesn't go, it becomes easier to be with. And I'm, you know, and I'm not saying this is going to work with all pain. You know, there are, there are people I know who have chronic pain, who have, you know, whatever it is from some, you know, illness or psychological thing, chronic pain, that, that won't go away like this. But it, it may make it easier to be with. Mm -hmm. I know somebody who had chronic pain because of physical thing in her spine. And when she started doing this, the pain was the same, but the suffering was less. She found it easier to be with the pain and accept it. So you're absolutely right. It's, it's the resisting it is part of the problem. And yeah, pain is a call for attention. So let's give it attention. You know, if the fire bell rings, you don't put a blanket over it to keep it quiet. <laughs> you say, okay, what's up? And I think it's the same with the body. When, it, when, it, when, it, when the body's fire bell rings, say, okay, what's going on here? Rather than taking a painkiller or something. In your book, you talk about returning to a natural mind. What is the natural mind? It's, and most of the people, when you look at their mind or listen to their mind, let's say better, listen to their mind. Um, yeah. It's a lot of uh, what if, what if, oh, this, oh, that. And these, yeah. you know, it's thoughts coming at us, uh, bombarding us uh, from every aspect. So when you say return to the natural mind, what is that? Right. right, the natural mind. And it's not the normal mind, the normal mind is what you describe. The norm is the average. And that's where most of us are most of the time. And if you look at those thoughts, they're all thoughts in one way or another about somewhere there's discontent in them. Even if it's like, oh, I, you know, I'm wishing for a good day tomorrow. There's that element of discontent. It may not turn out that way. But whatever's going on, there's, there's some, some worry, some concern, or you're going over the past, or whatever it is. Now, the, what I call the natural state of mind is how the mind is when it's unperturbed by any worry or concern or any discontent. And when, when there's nothing wrong, when everything is okay in your world, then it feels okay inside. And so I call the natural state of mind, what I call the natural state of mind is actually a state of contentment. I sometimes call it okayness. Things are okay outside, it feels okay inside. So that's the natural state of mind. It's a relaxed state, it's an easeful state, it's a contented state. And that's what we're really looking for in whatever we do. We're looking, how can I come back to feeling better inside? That's our basic motivation. And so, you know, if there is something amiss in the world, if it's, you know, you go out and it's cold and raining, you're going to suffer, you're going to feel discontent. And that's a sign to do something. So you, you go back in and get some better clothes or decide to stay in, whatever it is. So the discontent is there as a motivation to do something. But what happens with most of us is, you know, sometimes there's things we need to deal with in the world to improve our, you know, safety, our health, whatever. But I don't know, nine times out of 10, it's just in our imagination. So we are creating discontent over something that happened or might happen or whatever it is often may never actually happen so we're creating discontent which means we're never actually allowing ourselves to drop back into the natural mind which is this state of i call it just a state of ease and contentment you might call it happiness but that's the natural mind it's it's no great sort of metaphysical thing you achieve it's it's how we are when we're not worried, concerned, uptight about something. And so I see, you know, part of it, the journey of letting go is coming back to natural mind. When we let go of something that's causing us distress, then automatically we come back towards natural mind. And that's why the result of letting go of something is usually you feel a sense of relief. You feel a sense of ease. It feels, it feels lighter. And that's because we're stepping back towards this natural mind. 
See more like a seesaw that we go up and we go down during the day. We go up because of some of the thoughts. We go down because of some of the emotions that we yeah. hold on. And in your book, you talk about the different stories that we kind of construct that creates a lot of, you know, the, the uh, those types of stories create a lot of feelings and our own reality in it. And then we kind of get stuck in this muddled concept of the then the seesaw we go up and down and yeah. up. And I'm hearing yeah. you saying that when you we pay attention and when we have the ability to let in and let go, uh, then we come back into the space of the seesaw where we're in the balance, like the homeostasis status, uh, space of what you call the natural state of being. So, right. um, so we go like in animals, you know, they'll go hunt for food or they run from a predator, and then there's and then there's a space of just coming back, enjoying, playing, being with the nature and just uh, with that space. And I think that we've lost that concept of uh, a natural aspect of coming back into that space because we're just running, 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 running. And then when we don't run, we have one minute, we take this and go, oh, yeah. where else in the world they're running and going crazy? Oh, that's where they're going crazy. Yes, yes, yes. So we're not allowing that space of coming back in and coming into the natural space of mind. Exactly. Exactly. You know, you look at an animal, those who've got pets, you know, if you've got a dog or something, you know, if it sees a cat, it'll get all excited and go and chase the cat. The cat jumps over the fence. The dog, you know, looks around for half a minute and comes back and settles back down to be at peace. And so most creatures, you know, they alternate. And that's why we should be some of the time. Yes, we need to be attending to things, thinking about things, working out what to do. It's very, very valuable. But a lot of the time, we are just creating unnecessary discontent because of our thinking. You see, I, I don't believe a dog thinks like we do. It doesn't sit there thinking, I wonder where they're going to take me for a walk tomorrow. I hope it's this place, but maybe they won't. So, uh, you know, it doesn't do that. It doesn't get into thinking discontent. But we humans, we, we're blessed with thinking. It's it, what makes us human. It's a real blessing. But we overdo it. We do it far too much when it's not necessary. And when it's about something, some worry, some concern, something like that, we are creating discontent we are taking ourselves away from the natural mind and so this is what we're doing most of the time taking ourselves away from it but you're right it should be it should be a balance we we go into you know some form of discontent when it's necessary we tend to that and then we come back to natural mind i mean to take the example you know i say about going out into the cold rain you you know you come back home say you just decide to stay in warm ah this feels better you've come back to that natural state of contentment. But we are, you know, we are so conditioned in our society to how to find happiness. And that's why we get attached to things. We, we get attached to, this is what I need to be happy. And then the concern comes, what if I don't have this? But this is, you know, this is what we're really looking for is how to be happy. And that's where the attachment comes in. And that's why we need to let go because we've got caught up in some belief or story about what we have to have in order to be happy, not recognizing paradoxically that that belief that this is what we have to have in order to be happy is actually stopping us being happy in the moment. And this is what I consider, I sometimes call it the sad joke about human beings. We're so concerned about whether we're going to be at peace in the future we don't give ourselves the opportunity to be at peace in the present moment one of the things that i've noticed that is definitely a difference is between us and the rest of the beings is that we take everything very personal we do we do <laughs> yes yes it's about us it's about me and it's going to happen to me and yeah. it's my fault or it's your fault that you're doing it to me so yeah. there's a lot of this concept of personalness that creates also what you call, you know, what you said about suffering. Yes. Like stories are there, events happen, things happen, but the, a lot of the part that we get stuck is me. <laughs> stuff that happens. Yes, yes, yeah. And again, at times, that's you know, it's important to look after ourselves at times, 
But again, we, we're so worried about our social identity, what people are going to think of me, is this going to be good for me, etc. We're, we're stuck in that. And that's what you know I call the ego mind. It's like the, the, it's the bit that wants to look after us and keep us safe. But it's being activated so much of the time when it's unnecessary. Yeah. So I wanted I, to yeah, go on. You go on. The dichotomy, the paradox of the name of your book, because we always think I gotta let go toward nothing. And then your uh, your your book says letting go of nothing. Yes. What do you mean by nothing? What I actually mean it's a slight pun, it's no no thing. Yeah. I mean, there, there are other, there's other meanings in there, like you say, it's letting go to nothing. And also when we let go of something, we say, oh, it was nothing. <laughs> you know, afterwards, we might say, I let go, it was nothing. But the main sense of this in the book is what we're letting go of are not the things themselves. We're not trying to change the world. We're not even really letting go of thoughts and feelings because they're things. What we're letting go of is our attachment to them. And our attachment isn't actually a thing you can identify, it's just there. And ultimately, our attachment comes from a way of seeing things. It's like a mindset, it's how we see things. So as I was saying, you know, part of the attachment is, I've got to have this in order to be happy. That, that, that view of the world, belief, is what creates the attachment. And so what we're letting go of is not the thoughts or the feelings or the things in themselves, but we're letting go of the attachment. And the attachment isn't a thing. It isn't a thing. It's so that's where the letting go of nothing comes from. We're not letting go of things. It, we're actually changing our mind. So letting go of a way of seeing things is actually a change of mind. And so that I see as the essence of letting go is changing changing the lens through which we are seeing things. And essentially, you know, if you take a lens, if you're wearing, you know, rose-tinted spectacles, you see everything as rosy, whatever it is, or if you're wearing whatever it is. And you don't see the lens, you see the world through that lens. In the same way, when we have a lens that, you know, I need this or that, we don't actually see that. What we see is the world that is then influenced by that mindset, by that belief system. So that's what we're letting go of is, is a no thing. We're letting go of the, the view we're having. So it's basically about a change of mind, a change, in, a change in how we see things. That's how I see the essence of letting go is a change in how we are seeing things. And you talk about the, uh, the thinking mind and um, you're also talk what you just said about uh, I view something, I think about it in a particular way. As I expand it, I think about it in another way. Um, I'm still thinking. There's also this concept of um, everybody coming calling me like, doctor, can you just stop me thinking? I'm like, yeah, you're short of lobotomy. No, there is no way that I can stop <laughs> you from thinking. But you do uh, talk about how to relax that part of this. Yes, yes, yes. So share with it's us where everybody wants to know how okay. to stop thinking. <laughs> You can't, you can't, you can't stop thinking in the sense it's going to keep coming back. But you can pause it for a short while. I've noticed this, and I found it really, really valuable. So what I mean is, if you notice yourself caught up in some particular thought, whatever it is, you know, it could have been about your mother or something, or about what might happen, whatever it is, you notice some particular thought that, that's there, or, or any thought really, you can choose to pause that thought for a moment. It's just choosing not to follow that thought any further. It'll, it'll come back maybe, but just in the moment, you're just saying, I'm choosing not to follow that thought. And when you stop following that thought, because a thought wants to be followed, it wants this and needs to this, and then if this happens, you're just saying, I'm not going there. And when you do, when you stop following the thought, two things happen. One, you usually feel a sense of a sense of relief, some little relaxation, some ease. You're, you're actually dropping back towards that natural mind. So you're, you're feeling at ease. You notice that when you stop following the thought, there's often a sense of, ah, oh, the relief. 
there's, there's a relaxation that happens because the thought is making you tense. So when you stop following it, you, you sense that sort of slight lightness, relaxation, whatever it is. The second thing that happens is you begin to notice the present moment. You begin to notice it more because the thought is taking your attention out into the world in some way or another, something you have to do or whatever it is. So the thought is taking you out of the present moment. So when you stop following the thought, not only do you feel in that moment a little bit easier, but you're speaking to notice, oh, there's the wind in the trees or there's the traffic noise or whatever it is. You just notice what's going on around you. So it isn't you try to be present. It's like the present reveals itself because it's always there, the present. The present moment is always there. But when we're caught up in a thought, we don't notice it. So when you pause the thought, it's like, ah, OK, yes. Oh, and there's this, there's this happening. So... And then you may notice other subtler thoughts behind that that you hadn't noticed or other feelings behind that you hadn't noticed. So you begin to sort of drop in deeper. And I've just found this one of the most valuable things. You don't have to do it for long, you know, stop for five seconds, whatever. I have notes pinned around my house just saying pause. And when I see one, hopefully I'll just stop for five, 10 seconds, sometimes longer, sometimes half a minute, whatever I feel like, I just go, thank you. Yes. Yeah. And the thoughts will come back. But it, it's, the point is, it's about choosing to pause them for a moment. That's the important thing. And that's something I encourage you know, everybody to try, just seeing what happens between two tasks. I don't mean in the middle of doing something. I don't mean in, in the middle of writing something, whatever. But maybe between things, you know, you've you just completed your emails, you're going off to make a cup of coffee or something. In that moment between doing two things, there's a time just to pause for a few seconds. Notice what's going on in your mind. There's always something maybe about the next thing to do or something else. Notice that thought and just say, I'm not going to follow you for the moment. And just notice how it feels. There was, I remembered an app which is called B Zone, B E E Zone, Z O N E. It's free for everyone. And then it has a, a, a feature that's called Traffic Light, which on the hour, every hour, uh, it gives you this kind of like beautiful sound, which is um, kind of promoting one minute of pause. Yes. Going. Yeah. Yes. Just practice, like stop. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Go in and then you know, come back. And yes. the thought process I've really noticed is more like, uh, like what you were saying, when there's a lot of bombardment of different thoughts, it's standing in, okay, which one of these thoughts am I going to choose to follow? Or yes. none of these that are showing up, I like to follow. And I'm going to choose this thought process to follow <laughs> besides the pause that you were talking about. And um, because you, you're right, that things show up from our subconscious and we can kind of go and entertain it or that we can not entertain that and co-create or create whatever thought process we attend to and then follow through and, and move forward with it. I think part of what I keep hearing is this powerlessness against our own thoughts and emotions. And although they do come up automatic, but you are also in your book showing that, no, you do have some power or you do have some sense of control. You don't have to be, feel powerless against things that show up within you, like, you know, the thought process, the emotional space that shows up and yeah. the physical pain that shows up. And you're saying that part of what we can do with it is see it, get the message. What is it? get to know it because it's certainly a message that is coming and you want to be curious um, in this inquiry of what this message is. And then after you know what the message is, it either dissipates because it has nothing to do with the present reality or that you actually get the point that do something about this and yes. then go ahead and do something about it. Yes, yes, yes. It's like a lot of the time we're on autopilot and the thoughts are just running us. They're taking us here, taking us there. And so what we're talking about is, first of all, becoming more conscious of them, more conscious of what's actually going on in our mind. And then, you know, we're switching the mind off autopilot. We're take, we become the pilot. 
and we're saying, okay, I don't want to follow that thought, or I want to follow this thought, or this is, as you say, oh, this is important, I need to get this done. So I see that as another metaphor, where on autopilot, most of the time, the thoughts are just taking us here, taking us there. And we're just saying, hang on, no, I'm going to take back control here, I'm going to become the pilot of my life, not this automatic thing that's happening. Exactly. You had said, as we talked a couple minutes ago, that uh, there, you know, what you call an ego mind. And then in your book, you also share about there's no such a thing as an ego. Can you share a bit about this? Yes. I mean, a lot of my um, headings in the book are deliberately provocative. And when I say there's no such thing as ego, the emphasis on thing, there's no such thing as ego. Certainly, we can all be egocentric, egotistical at times. As you say, you know, a lot of the time it's about me, 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 me. But when I look inside myself, I don't find a separate part of me called ego. I don't find some entity there. There's me and then there's my, my ego. We talk about my ego as if there's some thing there. But when I look inside, I don't find that. What I find is... There's this sense of me, this sense of presence, that's all, you know, the deep sense of meanness. And I notice egocentric thoughts that's going on, worries about this, you know, what you're talking about, the thoughts about me, thoughts about this. But they're, they're, just, they're just thoughts that are passing through. So I see what we call ego is not a thing. It's a mode of thinking that we get caught in. And that's important because... When we see the ego as something, then what happens in many schools of thought is we've got to get rid of it, we've got to conquer it, we've got to banish it, we've got to overcome it, we've got to control it, like it's something, it's an enemy that's there. Um, when we see it as just a mode of thought that we get caught in, then again, we can choose not to follow it in that moment. So we can, we can let go of ego not by trying to get rid of something, we can let go of ego by letting go in the moment of those egocentric thoughts. And so we, we have freedom from ego in the moment. But it's not, it's not that it doesn't last forever. Of course, it comes back. But the practice is letting go of ego, letting go of that mode of thinking time and time again. But also to mention, this mode of thinking is, is not in itself an enemy, it's an ally. It's actually there to keep us safe. I mean, the purpose of egoic thinking is to keep me safe, to uh, run away from danger, fulfill the needs I have. It's about keeping the organism safe. And so it has a real purpose. But, you know, nine out of 10 times, it's being triggered when there's nothing going wrong in our environment. It's just our thoughts have triggered it. You know, what if I call this person and they say this, or am I going to wear the right thing today? It's like, the ego is getting involved when it's totally unnecessary. So then that's the time to just let it go for the moment, step out of that mode of thinking. Again, it's that pause thing. We can pause the egoic mode of thinking for a moment. And as we do that regularly, whenever we notice it, we first of all start noticing how it feels to do that. It feels better. That becomes a motivation to do it. And we get more skilled at it. It's like, ah, yes. So we're learning how to, how to let it happen more easily. So, and this is really what I think, you know, all the spiritual paths are about ultimately is how do we let go of ego? So again, I see it as a way of improving our life just by pausing it from time to time. As you were talking about, I was looking at ego as a, remember us I, we, we're the species that takes everything personal and it's like the ego is the protector of the personalness like it becomes yeah. me and that's the protection protector of you know the guardian in a sense. right that i that i just created uh which there isn't any but obviously if i'm if i make up the concept of an i then i have to make up the concept of somebody protecting it so right we had we got this really amazing delusion going on <laughs> right we well we have two senses of i there's you know if you ask someone who are you usually the first thing they come up with is their name you know i am peter you know and i am male and i do this for a job whatever it is and i am british and i did this i had this education and i believe in this and so we create 
this sense of identity, which is about how we appear in the world. You know, Peter is just a name I have. I could change my name tomorrow. You know, oh no, I am now Alfred. <laughs> so all of that can change. But beneath that is this deep sense of I-ness that's always there. You know, the I that is experiencing this moment right now is the same I that was there yesterday, 10 years ago. As far back as I can remember, this sense of me, me-ness. And all these other things could have changed. I mean, I know, you know, my beliefs, my views in the world, my history has changed, all that's changed. But this deep sense of I-ness never changes. It's always the same and always there. But we don't notice it because either we're caught up in this superficial personal sense of I-ness or because we're caught up in thinking, what are we doing in the world? What's happening? This is fascinating. I'm excited by this. And again, when we pause and step back a bit, we can begin to, oh, yes, and here I am that same sense of I, here I am. And it's like coming home. I feel it's, ah, I've come home to my true self again, not that constructed self. I've come home to that sense of self that's always there. It's not constructed at all. It's just, in a way, it's just the experience of our own personal beingness. That's how I see it. Yes. So we have about five minutes and I really wanted to also talk about meditation because you have a whole section in your book about meditation and, um, you know, having it be effortless in a sense and not to struggle around it. Um, I think the only thing I've struggled around is doing it every day at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> very interesting. It's been a struggle of almost like 15 years. Um, and it's very interesting of why it's, I mean, I work every day at the same hour. So how come, you know, I, I wake up at the same every day, but it's interesting that that concept of, you know, um, just sitting and creating in a discipline. And then when you sit, then what happens is like part of what you were talking about is paying attention, you know, paying right. attention. A lot of times people think like when you meditate, you get to the nothingness. And then yeah, it is a lot about, you know, where you're paying your attention to in, in a sense. So share with us about how to make meditation effortless. Right. Um, you're right. It does require some effort and discipline in actually doing it. So I'm not saying about it should be effortless in that sense, but the actual practice should be without any effort because I mean, just to say there are other meditations that do require concentration, effort. That's their whole principle with which they work. And they have particular goals they're looking at, training the mind in a certain way. What I'm interested in is meditation that allows the mind to become quiet. And if you put effort into that, you're just increasing what's going on. You're increasing the tension, if you like. It's doing the opposite to allowing the mind to relax. So in principle, I, I see meditation, this sort of meditation, which is allowing the mind to relax, effort is gonna get in the way. Now, we will fall into doing effort or trying to, but again, when you notice that, you say, ah, ah, there I go, let it go. And so it starts off with really what I was saying earlier about not following the thoughts. So when you sit down to meditate, you're going to notice thoughts popping in all over the place. It happens to everybody. You know, you ask, you know, some monk, Buddhist monk, do you have thoughts in meditation? They say, yes, but, you know, I don't follow them. And that's the key, not to follow the thoughts. So when you notice your thinking, you just say, okay, I'm not going to follow that. And, and again, as, you, as I said, the present moment reveals itself. And just noticing the present moment, and when thoughts come in, come back and just noticing your experience in the moment whatever it is and so that's that's the first part of it and often in terms of sort of mindfulness meditation that's that's as far as it goes you know you're just noticing the present moment noticing your breath noticing the body noticing feelings but when that happens we're also the mind is also relaxing and we're feeling this sense of ease whatever it is relief quiet quietness you may notice a greater sense of stillness and it's generally a good feeling that's there underneath and that is also part of the present moment but too often we ignore that we're so busy putting the attention on the breath or whatever it is we know we don't notice how it's feeling and so 
I suggest the next stage is, is to notice how it feels, because that's part of the present moment. Include that in your experience. Oh, I'm feeling more at ease, or there's this sense of inner quiet or lightness or relaxation. To include that and enjoy it, to just soak in it. I have to think, you know, it's a bit like you know, you're getting into a nice warm bath. You get into the bath and it's warm, and you can either go off on your thoughts in the bath, or you can lie there and say, ah, oh, isn't this lovely? And so that's a bit I add to the meditation. As the mind begins to settle down, then to actually positively enjoy it, like, ah, oh, yes, isn't it lovely? I call it just soaking, soaking in the ease that comes. So I say that's, you know, that's why it should be effortless. And I'd say any time you catch effort coming in, it's going to happen. We're going to, you know, I do it sometimes. I'm thinking, well, it happened to be a little while back. I was, my morning meditation wasn't as good as it should have been. I wasn't, it wasn't so easy, quiet. And I was getting frustrated. And then I suddenly realized all this thought about it not being as good, etc., is just me worrying about it, putting effort into it. So when I just included that, Ah, uh, I'm not going to follow you. Suddenly, I dropped into a quiet state. And I could see that, that even that thinking about the quality of the meditation was actually taking me out of meditation. So effortless is always taking you away from being in that quiet or relaxed state. Real quick, um, anything we haven't said that you want to make sure everybody knows? Um, I've mentioned that we're all looking for you know, the same thing. We're looking to be at peace, happy, to come back to natural mind. And to recognize that everybody else wants that. That's what everybody else is looking for. We may look for it in different ways that sometimes are in conflict. But just by recognizing that comes, comes kindness. It's like, this is what other people want. So in any interaction is, how can I talk to this person? How can I say what I have to say? Whatever it is, so that the other person feels better on receiving it, which in a way is we so easily get into attack, or well, not so easily, but often we get into some attack thought. It's just filtering out the attack and saying, okay, how can I be kinder to this person? I think, you know, if we're all kinder to each other, the world would be a very different place. Absolutely. Peter Russell, everyone, please get the book, Letting Go of Nothing and From Science to God. Thank you so much for taking the time and being on my show. Pleasure. I've really enjoyed being with you. And for all of you who are out there, create an amazing world for yourself and everyone around you. And until next week, bye-bye.